Hello everyone and welcome to the Mimetic Exegete podcast. I'm your host Simon Skidmore. In the last episode we began our new study on the Song of Solomon. As we noted, this book traces the delicate dance of courtship and love between two people who become infatuated with one another. By imitating and reciprocating one another's compliments, their love gradually grows and escalates, culminating in a type of love sickness. In the midst of this sickness, the two lovers become blind to one another's flaws, each viewing the other in glowing terms. The woman describes her shepherd lover as a glamorous king, and the shepherd describes his beloved with similar grandiose language. Their desire for one another is described through the language of the senses. For example, the beloved describes her anticipation of her lover's approach as fine, expensive perfume and likens the experience of embracing her king to clutching a sachet of aromatic myrrh between her breasts. The king's presence pleasures and sustains her like exotic fruit. The beloved's time with her king is made all the more sweeter because it becomes a brief and pleasurable respite from the misery of her slavery in her brother's vineyards. She calls her king to draw her away that they might elope and start a new life together. As we read on from chapter 2 verse 8, we see the beloved shepherd king answer her call. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, arise, O beautiful one, come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its fruit, and the vines are in blossom, they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away with me. O oh, my love, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the little foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine and I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. The beloved describes her king's haste as he answers her call for rescue. The king cannot gain access to his beloved because they are separated by a wall on the lattice which imprisons her. This wall of separation represents another obstacle to the lover's romance. As it frustrates their attempts to embrace one another, their desire grows ever stronger. The king demonstrates this desire as he attempts to catch a glimpse of his beloved through the lattice. Let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. He yearns to experience his beloved unobstructed by her brothers and the wall that separates the two. It would seem that love has indeed awoken. This idea is graphically portrayed 
through the imagery of flowers blooming and fruit ripening as the king summons his beloved to arise and elope with him. Although this new love is exciting and vibrant, it is also delicate and fragile. To nurture and protect their love, the king and his beloved must catch the little foxes that threaten to destroy their vineyards. In the ancient Near East, foxes were regarded as pests who would eat the delicate new growth on the grapevines. Who are the foxes and what exactly are they doing? Recall that we have already seen this vineyard image explored in our text. The beloved complains that her half-brothers forced her to work in their vineyard, which meant she could not maintain her own vineyard. As we noted, the beloved's vineyard represents her hopes and desires, which she has been unable to pursue on account of her brother's anger. Now for the first time in our life, the beloved turns her attention to her own vineyard, protecting the delicate buds of love from the little foxes which threaten to devour and destroy it. The foxes could represent anything that threatens to destroy the relationship between the beloved and her king. The little foxes could be the beloved's half-brothers who have kept her from pursuing love in the past. They could be the daughters of Jerusalem who imitate the beloved in an attempt to steal the king's affections from her. Or they could be the spirit of apathy which threatens to dampen the couple's passion for one another once they elope and experience what they thought they always wanted. In this delicate season of new love, both the beloved and her king must work diligently to ensure their relationship is allowed to blossom and mature. The beloved stakes her exclusive claim over her shepherd king with her words, My beloved is mine and I am his. Through this statement, the daughters of Jerusalem are warned to give up any aspirations they may harbour for the king's love. The beloved has snagged her shepherd king. Game over. The beloved's declaration of her monogamous relationship with her king serves as an obstacle which only inflames the daughters of Jerusalem's desire for him. These women imitate the beloved's appearance and actions as they exchange sly glances and flirtatious words with the shepherd king, as they work all day together in the hot sun. The beloved begins to grow insecure in the face of the advances offered by the daughters of Jerusalem. Will her shepherd king dump her for one of these other young maidens? After all, in her own mind, she is nothing special. She is merely one flower among many. When the workday is done, the beloved calls her king to hasten to her side that they might enjoy one another's company in a more intimate setting. But as we read on from chapter 3 verse 1, we see that this time the king does not answer the call of his beloved. On my bed by night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. I will arise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. The watchman found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. 
I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. The beloved frantically searches the town until she finds her king. But where was he and why did he not answer her call? We're not told. Perhaps her worst fears have been realised and he has run off with another girl. Or maybe some accident has befallen him. In any case, concerned for her vineyard, the beloved takes to the streets and frantically searches for her shepherd king. When she finally finds him, we're not told where or what he was doing or why he did not come to her. As readers, we're left totally in the dark. But if we read this text from a mimetic perspective, we find some clues as to why the king might not have answered his beloved's call. We already know that the king works alongside his beloved in the field and shares break time with her on the grass under the shade of their favourite tree. At the end of the day, the beloved then calls her king to enjoy her presence in a more intimate setting. When these details are viewed alongside the intensity of their romantic exchanges, it seems quite possible that the king is feeling smothered by his beloved's affections. In the streets of the town, he seeks some respite because he too is feeling lovesick. His beloved's mission to find him and bring him home emphasises her clinginess. When she finds her king, she clings to him and refuses to let him out of her sight again. Here we see another mimetic loop in play. The beloved's clinginess actually dampens her king's affections, causing him to become more aloof as he seeks respite from her. Meanwhile, the king's aloofness fortifies his beloved's desire for him and amplifies her insecurities. Remember that this woman is insecure about her appearance, thinking herself to be no more worthy of the king's love than any of the other daughters of Jerusalem. Her response to these feelings is to apprehend and imprison her king in the house of her mother, so that he will be hers forever. In an attempt to keep her own vineyard, the beloved has recreated, in her own relationship, the same toxicity that once existed between herself and her half-brothers. You may recall that the beloved could not pursue her own dreams because her half-brothers forced her to work in their vineyard. Now she imitates the behaviour of her abusers as she attempts to control and manipulate her king to achieve her own desire. The beloved's abusive treatment of her king and his own autonomy becomes one of the little foxes that threatens to devour their blossoming love. Scholars have noted the link between the Song of Songs and the garden narrative of Genesis chapters 2 and 3. The beloved's attempt to rule over her king and manipulate him to achieve her own desire echoes the curse uttered in Genesis chapter 3. You will desire to rule over your husband, but he will rule over you. Unless this couple can catch and remove these little foxes from their toxic relationship, their romance seems doomed to fail. Reading on now from verse 6. What is that coming up from the wilderness, like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, 
with all the fragrant powders of a merchant. Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it are sixty mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel. All of them are wearing swords and expert in war, each with his sword at his thigh. Against terror by night. King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. He made its posts of silver and its back of gold, its seat of purple. Its interior was inlaid with love. By the daughters of Jerusalem, go out, O daughters of Jerusalem, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. Scholars have noted this section seems somewhat disconnected to the rest of the book. We turn our attention from the romantic drama between the beloved and her king to focus upon Solomon's royal possession in all its pomp and glory. The beloved instructs the daughters of Jerusalem to look upon Solomon. She hopes that the daughters of Jerusalem will become besotted with King Solomon and his army and set their desire upon them instead of the beloved's shepherd king. Solomon's visit also inspires the beloved shepherd to set his desire upon kingly glory. As the shepherd king observes the daughters of Jerusalem swooning over Solomon and his caravan, he once more desires that sort of attention for himself from a woman. This desire leads him back to his own beloved who swooned over him and praises him as if he were Solomon himself. Let's continue reading from chapter 4 verse 1. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing. All of them bear twins, and not one of them has lost its young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of a warrior. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, that graze among the lilies. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Senir and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits, henna and perfume. 
perfume and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all choice spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water, the flowing streams from Lebanon. Desiring to feel loved, honoured and regal, the shepherd king launches into his longest monologue yet. The shepherd king praises his beloved for her beauty and calls her to elope with him. King Solomon's visit has confirmed and fortified the shepherd king's desire for his beloved. Perhaps even the shepherd king's brief period of respite from his beloved's smothering affection has kindled his desire once more. But alas, the beloved is like a locked garden which he cannot enter a fountain of life from which he cannot drink. This lack of access to his beloved only inflames his desire for her. The shepherd king's unfilled desire mirrors the earlier experience of his beloved when he did not respond to her call in the night. He now expresses this desire by imitating the grandiose praise his lover heaped upon him in chapter 2. Again, the language of the senses is generously employed to describe the shepherd king's fervent desire for his beloved. Will this barrage of compliments also dampen the beloved's desire for her shepherd king? Perhaps she will feel the same apathy towards him that the shepherd king felt earlier in the story when he was smothered by his lover's affection. Will she also imitate her shepherd king's behaviour by refusing to answer his call? We shall find out in the next episode. Thanks again for joining me on the Mimetic Exegete podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you may do so on the Mimetic Exegete Facebook group. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.